Welcome to this week's podcast from Free Chapel in Orange County. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information, check out our website at freechapel.org. Exodus chapter 1, beginning at verse 1, it says this, Meanwhile, Moses was shepherding the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led his flock to the far side of the wilderness and to the far side of the... He led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, Horeb, the mountain of God. Then the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire within a bush. As Moses looked and he saw this bush was in on fire but was not consumed. Moses thought, I must go over and look at this remarkable sight. Why isn't the bush burning up? When the Lord saw it, saw that he had gone over to look, God called out to him from the bush and said, Moses, Moses. He said, here I am. And he answered, do not come closer. He said, remove your sandals from your feet for the place where you're standing is holy ground. Then he continued and he said, I am the God of your father, Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. Jacob, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have, I have observed the misery of my people in Egypt and have heard them crying out because of their oppressors. I know about their sufferings and I have come down to rescue them from the power of Egypt, of the Egyptians and to bring them from that land, that land to a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. Now, for the sake of time, I want you to go over to Exodus chapter eight, Exodus chapter eight. If you don't have it, they'll put it on the screens. Exodus chapter eight, verse twenty five. Then Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron and said, go sacrifice to your God within the country. But Moses said, it would not be right to do that because what will we sacrifice to the Lord? Because what we will sacrifice to the Lord, our God, is detestable to the Egyptians. If we sacrifice what the Egyptians detest in front of them, won't they stone us? We must go a distance of three days into the wilderness and sacrifice to the Lord our God as he instructed us. Pharaoh responded, I will let you go and sacrifice to the Lord your God in the wilderness, but don't go very far. Make an appeal for me. And I'll stop reading there. I want to talk to you um, from this text in this particular Um, story here in the Old Testament um, today and share some thoughts surrounding it. But if you're taking notes or or you need a title for this, not a catchy title, but it's just for reference. um, I want to call this Refuse to be Kept by Compromise. Refuse to be kept by compromise. I will not be kept by compromise. Compromise. Compromise is not going to keep me complacent. Compromise is not going to cause me to settle. Compromise is not going to keep me mediocre and mundane. Because I'm declaring right here and right now that I will not be kept by compromise. When you look up the word compromising, it's the process of giving and taking in order to achieve 
uh, Webster said, a relative satisfaction out of what seemed to be a hopeless or deadlock issues. Compromise. Countries do it to avoid war. Husbands and wives do it to avoid divorce. Business people do it to avoid parties losing money. Laborers do it with their companies to avoid strike and income loss. In most human cases, there's always room for compromise. But when it comes to the devil, compromise never works. I want you to understand when it comes to the enemy of our soul, Satan, the evil one, the wicked one, compromise is never part of the equation. Understand that we don't make deals with the devil. We don't bargain with the devil. We don't negotiate with the devil. We don't sit around and gather thoughts with the devil. But the Bible is very clear when it comes to the devil. The Bible says resist the devil. The scripture says rebuke the devil. The scripture also says to take authority over the devil. We don't negotiate. We don't play games. We don't hang around. We don't paticate with the devil. We don't compromise with the devil. One thing that the Bible is very clear, Luke 10, 19, I give you power to tread upon serpents and scorpions and all the power of the enemy when it comes to compromise there are healthy compromises but when it comes to the enemy there is no compromise that is an absolute and a must the bible said no matter what to give no place to the devil I'm not going to give him a place in my home. I'm not going to give him a place in my marriage. I'm not going to give him a place in my business. I'm not going to give him a place in what I look at, what I listen to, and where I go. Because understand that if you give the enemy an inch, he's going to take three miles. All he's looking for is the smallest foothold to infiltrate any area of our life. So the Bible is very clear. It says, it didn't say give a little place, give some. It says give no place to the enemy at all. Can I get a big amen there and I'll move on. (sighs) Understand when it comes to compromise, it's never an option. If it means bending, breaking, or altering the principles in order to even get the enemy off your back. There is no need, watch this, there is no need to compromise when you already know the outcome. When I already know what's going to happen, there's no need to compromise. There's no need to discuss and pray about it. Are you following me? And so what I want to talk to you about is understanding in this particular story, when you look at the life of Pharaoh, in this particular text in regards to God's people, the children of Israel, he's a type of the enemy. He's a type of Satan and who wants to keep God's people bound by compromise. So let's look at it. What are you talking about? As our story picked up, notice in, um, in, in Exodus chapter 3, the Bible said that Moses is now, the Bible said, on the backside of a desert. The scripture said that he's leading sheep. I love the wording. It said that he's leading sheep. He's on the far side of a wilderness and he had come to Mount Horeb. Horeb means desolation or a place of desolation. Understand this is after the fact that Moses had been running for his life as a fugitive after he had killed two Egyptians, uh, the Egyptians who were, were, were um, attacking his people, the scripture said. And here Moses out taking care of his father's sheep. The Bible said he was in a desolate place. He was in a wilderness place and he was in a far off place. 
place. Imagine what it, what Moses felt like in the in that moment. It, it was a, it was a time that he felt alienated. It was a time that he felt isolated. And the Bible said, "Horror men, it was desolation." But the Bible, I love the scripture. It said, "But the Lord came to him in that place." I want to make a point right now and say it doesn't matter how desolate your situation seems. It doesn't matter how dark the dilemma seems. It doesn't mean it doesn't make it doesn't matter how you may feel isolated or alienated. You may even feel far from God. But I want to declare to you that we serve a God that will come to your dark place. He will come to your broken place. He will come to your desolate place. There is no place that can escape the grace of God. He will come right where you are the bible said this that when when god came to him in that place the, the angel of the lord appeared to him the scripture said in a burning bush the bible said the bush was burning but it was not consumed and the scripture said that moses saw the bush burning and he was amazed he said how is it caught on fire but it's not burnt but but it's not being consumed And the Bible said that Moses said, let me walk over and see this thing that is happening. Watch this. The scripture said, God said this, when he saw Moses come close to the tree, the Bible said that the voice of the Lord called out to Moses. Watch this. As long as there was distance between where Moses was and where God was, there was silence. But when he got close, he started hearing him speaking. In other words, sometimes the silence of God only comes to solicit intimacy with his people. Oh my God, he's quiet so that you would draw near. He's quiet so that you would come closer. He's quiet that you would begin to pursue him a little bit more. He's not playing games. He just wants you to draw near. And notice when he got close, that's when God began to speak. And what I love about this, the scripture said this, when he, when God began to speak, watch this, the Bible said he called out of the bush. When he had this encounter, he received a call. The importance of encountering the presence of God. You see all throughout scripture that many men and women of God were called by God after a major encounter in his presence. That's why we don't take worship moments for granted. That's why we don't take praise for granted. We don't do it just to fill time in the service. We don't do it just to be entertaining before the preaching. But we understand that if we can ever encounter the presence of God, come on, callings come out of the presence of God. Purposes are discovered out of the presence of God. Affirmations and confirmations come. Healing can come in the presence of God. Breakthrough can come In the presence of God. Yokes are destroyed. Sick bodies are healed. In the presence of God. And understand that this is where his calling started. And I wrote this down. If the calling started in the presence of God. Then it's going to take the presence of God to keep the calling. How is it that we start out in his presence? He said, he said, I called you in my presence. 
So the same same presence that calls you is going to be is going to be the same presence that's going to keep you. You don't start out in the presence and leave the presence. But he says, I call you out of my presence and you're going to need my presence to sustain your calling. Now it makes sense when Moses said, I won't go up unless your presence goes with me. He understood if I don't have your presence, I don't have nothing. If I don't have the anointing, I don't have anything. My calling started with your presence. It's going to take your presence to keep my calling. And watch this. And God said, had a conversation with Moses and he said, he said, listen, I've heard, I've observed the sufferings of my people. I've saw how they've been abused. I saw how they've been in oppression. And he said, I've heard their cry. Watch this. I've heard their cry and I have come down To rescue them. But what got me is this. When God came down to rescue them. He went to a man. A cry came up to God. He came down to rescue. But his rescue plan involved a man named Moses. In other words, watch this. (laughs) When a cry comes up to God. God calls a man or woman to answer the cry. Because watch this, your calling, watch this, is a response of a cry that's coming up in the earth. See, the earth is filled with cries right now. Our neighborhoods are crying out. Our schools are crying out. Our colleges are crying out. Families are crying out. Government is crying out. Culture is crying out. Come on. Come on. There's a cry that's going up before God. And God said the way that I deal with the cry is by calling my people. Your calling is connected to a cry. That's why you can't take it for granted. That's why you can't look at it as something that's not important. That's why it has to grip your heart to know that when God calls me he's not calling me just because he doesn't have anything to do but there's a cry that's connected to my calling there's a cry connected to my purpose and God wants you to oh my God to raise you up to be an answer to somebody's cry will you be willing to stand up and say God here I am use me to answer a cry God doesn't comfort you to be comfortable. He comforts you to become a comforter. That's why he said, I comfort you in your affliction that you might comfort others with the same comfort that you've been comforted with. In other words, God says, I don't want your, come on, your comfort to, 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 to get you uh, mediocre, but I want to turn your comfort into a ministry. In other words, the thing that I, let me go ahead and preach it like I want to. The thing that I brought you out of, I want to use you to bring others out of. That's why his name was Moses. Moses means drawn out. God draw you out so you can draw others out. He didn't set you free for the sake of freedom. The Bible says in Galatians, your freedom is attached to serving others. So God didn't set you free for you to sit on the seat and have a good time and be on your way to heaven. No, he broke the chains. He destroyed the yokes. He lifted the burdens because he knows that call in you is designed to answer a cry that has come up to him. If you believe that, give Jesus. Jesus a shout of praise. My call 
is answering a cry. The Bible said in, 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 the, in Exodus chapter 8, watch this. Are you ready? When Moses began to respond to this call, this call would cause him to have to confront Pharaoh. And when he got ready to confront Pharaoh with his call, watch this. Pharaoh was ready to confront him with compromise. Whew. Anytime you get ready to accept a call and, and, and receive the call and step out, don't be, don't be shocked if you're not confronted with a spirit of compromise that tries to tell you why you can't, that tries to disqualify you. I've learned that the thing that the enemy uses to disqualify you sometimes is the very thing that God uses to qualify you. But when he confronted Pharaoh with his call, the Bible said Pharaoh then confronted him with compromise. What do you mean? Are you ready? What are these compromises that, that, that Pharaoh or the enemy would love to try to keep us bound with? Number one, watch this in Exodus chapter 8 verse 25. Notice what it says. Then Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron and said, Go sacrifice to your God. Listen to these words. Within the country. But Moses said it would not be right to do that. Because, that. because what we will sacrifice to the Lord is detestable to the Egyptians. Watch this. If we sacrifice what the Egyptians detest in front of them, we they, they, will they not stone us? In other words, so you want us to worship. He said, that's fine. But watch this. Do it here. You didn't catch that. He said, worship, but do it here. That was not God's instructions to Moses. He said, I need you to go three days journey and worship there. But Pharaoh said, I want you to worship within the country. Watch this. The enemy will always try to get you to compromise. Watch this. With partial obedience. Listen to what I'm saying. Watch this. Partial obedience is total disobedience. I'm going to say it over here. Partial obedience is total disobedience. He said you can worship, but just do it right here. Don't go and do what God said, but do what God said, but do it my way. How many of you know the Bible says that obedience is better than sacrifice? And rebellion is as a spirit of witchcraft. And when it comes to obeying God, it has to be total obedience, not partial obedience. Obeying God sometimes doesn't make sense. How many of you know that? Obeying God sometimes will mess with your mind. But when, it come, when God gives us commands, watch this. He don't often give us explanation. And a real sign of Christian maturity is that we, when we can begin to obey God without explanation. When God speaks, I just move. When God speaks, I just obey. When God speaks, I just don't do it. It may not make sense. I may not know how. And I may not know how to work it all out yet. But all I know, if I hear him speak, I'm going to obey. Because watch this. The Bible said Abraham, watch this, obeyed. He went, watch this, not knowing where. Hannah, watch this, obeyed, not knowing when. Oh, my God. Joseph obeyed, not knowing why. They didn't know when. 
They didn't know where. They didn't know why. And Mary obeyed not knowing how. It doesn't matter if you don't know when. It doesn't matter if you don't know why. It doesn't matter if you don't know how. If God told you to do it, you do it. There's always blessing on the other side of obedience. If you believe that, give the Lord a shout of praise. He says this. He, he says, he says not only that, he said, and then the Bible said, Moses said, uh-uh. He said, we won't do it here. He said, we got to go three days journey into the wilderness. You know why? Moses said, separation is a necessity. In other words, he said, I won't cut the enemy. If you're writing notes, put number two, the enemy will always want you to compromise your separation. Oh, Lord, can I dig into this right now? Understand, watch this. When we talk about separation, I love what 2 Corinthians said. It says, therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. And do not touch the unclean thing and I will come to you. Oh, we, sometimes we look at those scriptures and those are old-fashioned scripture. But there is something about our separation. God has not called us to be just these blend-in chameleon Christians. He actually said that I have put, he said in Exodus, a difference between my people and the people of Egypt. Come on, there has to be a message of separation again. And when I'm talking about being separate from the world, I'm not talking about being self-righteous. Because sometimes we, we call being separate self-righteous because we're looking down our nose at folk because they're not like us or where we are. Being separate is not being self-righteous. Being separate is an understanding that my separation is, has to do with my dedication to God. And when he separates me, watch this, separation often precedes promotion because they were getting ready to go in a promised land. But God is calling the church, I believe, back again to good old holiness good old righteousness and a message of separation what do you mean Javon separation J.B. Phillips says in Romans 12 like this don't be squeezed into the world's mold culture is not to conform us but we're to conform culture society don't determines our standards scripture determines our standards there ought to be some birthmarks to believers. <laughs> there ought to, I said it ought to be some birthmarks to real born again believers when you're saved, saved for real, for real. I get, listen, hear my heart, hear my heart. I know people are on their journey. Uh, people are, are going through different things and people are facing things. I don't expect anybody to come down here and surrender their life and, and all at once have it all together. I don't know if that happens to anybody. But there's a difference. I'm, uh, there's a difference between, watch this, a secret sinner and a struggling saint. And it's the story of the pig, come on, and the sheep. Because if you put the pig and the sheep in the mud, come on, there's going to be two different responses. You put a pig in the mud, he's going to wallow all in that mud and turn and... <laughs> He's going to snout. He's going to, come on. He's going to be in there licking and ticking and everything else all in that mud. 
and it it will take everything to get him out. But when you find a sheep or a lamb and they fall over in the mud, it don't mean that they can't fall in the mud. It doesn't mean that they won't step in the mud. But when they do, they don't wallow in it. They don't sleep in it. They don't sit in it. It's something in their nature that goes, this is bad. I got to get out of here. This is bad. This is not good. This is bad. I know I'm not supposed to be here. This is bad. I know I'm messed up, but this is bad. This is not my home. This is bad. And that lamb and that sheep will fight. They'll keep coming to church and lifting their hands. Yes, they may still have a drink every now and then, but I know this is bad. But I'm going to keep coming to God's house. They may use it. Oh, come on, somebody. They may drop a few F-bombs. I'm not making excuse for sin, but if they just keep coming, just keep coming, just keep coming, it's bad, bad. And all of a sudden, they lose that bad, and it becomes glory. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Praise God. I'm free. If anybody believe in the saving grace of God and being saved for real, give Jesus a shout of praise. Help me while you're standing real quick. Help me. You you shouldn't have stood up. Come on up here. (laughs) See, we get it all wrong. See, the Bible says this. Watch this. Flee youthful lust and pursue righteousness. Notice that. See, watch this. Flee and pursue. There's a run from and a run to. Here's the problem. We got to help you. That's why you come to church so we can teach you. We will sit over here with youthful lust like this. Oh, man, how am I going to get out of this? Oh, man, oh, man, I messed up again. Oh, man, I messed up. How am I going to do this? Oh, I did it again. I fell again. I fell again. All my effort and energy is over here hanging out with youthful lust. But the Bible said flee and pursue. But watch this. The moment I make a decision to pursue is the moment simultaneously I start fleeing. Because when I turn this way, I've got my back to it. I know I'm still close, but my direction has changed. I may not be all the way out, but my direction has changed. Used to be I was all up in it, but now my direction has changed. And as I keep walking toward God, as I keep praising, I keep coming to school of discipleship. I keep going to my small group. I keep getting in the youth. I get hooked up with the young adults. I come to divine. Before you know it, as I'm fleeing, come on, and pursuing, I'm getting further away from the thing that the enemy wanted me to compromise in. Don't you dare run from God. You run to God. Number two. He said, he said, number two, watch this. He said, number one, he said, Compromise your separation. Number two, watch this. He said, compromise your consecration, your dedication, your full commitment. Notice what he said. And Pharaoh said in Exodus 8, 28, you shall not go very far. Don't go far. Don't go far. Okay, all right. You know, you ain't going. Okay, if you're not going to worship here, watch compromise. Just don't go far. Don't go far. Don't get too serious. Don't get too committed. Don't get too loyal. 
Now, come on now. You can't be doing that next step stuff. That's, that's a little bit too much. What? Small, no, 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 no. Don't get too involved. What you, now you lifting your hands. Come on. Don't, don't do that. That's a little bit too much. You don't want to, no, 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 no. Because, because see, what, what he wants is, I don't want you to go too far. I want you to adopt that borderline believer mentality. That how close can I stay get to the world and be with God too. How, how, you know, that, that minimal mindset, what's the minimum I need to do to stay right before God? I, do I have to give? Do I have to serve? I mean, it don't have that much filth in it. I mean, a few bad scenes, it's not that bad. It's okay. God knows my heart. He knows my heart. You can't judge me. Man, look on the outside and God looks at my heart. You exactly. And Jeremiah said the heart is deceitful above all things. And the Bible said when it comes to your heart, you need to cry out, create in me a clean heart and renew in me a right spirit. Because see, listen, if you lay close to the edge of the bed, it's a matter of time that you're going to fall out. But if you make a decision I'm going to get away from it as far as I can because God didn't call me. Come on, half and half is good for coffee, but it's horrible for Christianity. He didn't cause me to have one foot in the church, one foot in the world. One day I'm praising, one day I'm laying, one day I'm in faith, well, another day I'm in fornication. Absolutely not. What he wants is sold out Christians that give all of their heart, all of their mind, all of their spirit everything to serve a living God if you believe in still being sold out give Jesus a shout of praise won't fill a church but it'll keep you right he said just don't go too far you don't want to be one of those spiritual fanatics you know like at free chapel You know, it's just, I don't know if it takes all that. It's more like a club. You know, I don't know. I just like it somber. I just like it like, you know, you know I don't know. They're just kind of fanatic. I'm not kind of used to that. I don't know how much of that is real anyway. And the same person, you'll go up to Dodger Stadium or Anaheim Angels, and you'll get in, fight all the traffic, number one, going up the 405. <laughs> And cuss eight people out on the way because they cut you off. You will stand in line however long it takes to get your ticket. And nobody's talking about how cool it is out there. Oh, that's so cool. Oh, let me go somewhere. No, no, no. But the, you don't complain about the weather. You don't complain about where you're sitting. You don't complain about the price you got to give for that $12 hot dog. But it's something wrong when we call ourselves Christians and we come up in God's house and not fanatic. You know what the base word of a fanatic is? Is a fan. Come on, why don't you take some that same mindset and say you know what Jesus has been too good to me I don't care I'm not worried about time constraints because a real fan will get there early and a fan will stay late a fan is willing to pay a price for a good ticket a fan is willing to wait in line and persevere till they get their promised place a real fan come on somebody oh come on they're vocal they'll begin to shout for the winning team is there any vocal fans in here 
here that shouts for the winning team. That team is not the Dodgers. It's not the Angels. It's King Jesus. He's the Lord of Lords. He's the King of Kings. That's the winning team. Fanatics. No. I'm tired of cool whip Christians. I'm tired of the enemy trying to snuff us out and shut us down. Listen, there's too many people bound up and on their way to hell for us to sit back and be cozy and act like, come on, somebody. We got to get sold out for this thing and get real for Jesus. Number three. I'm almost done. Number three. I'm going to leave you with this. This was very interesting to me. Um, this is actually what drew my attention before I start jumping back into this text. Exodus chapter 10. Notice these wordings. Pharaoh's official asked him, he said, how long must, must this man be a snare to us? I love that. The people said, this joker is a snare to us. I'd like to be known as a snare to the devil. Ah, I'd like to be known as somebody that gets on hell's nerves. How long will this joker keep bothering us? Will he not let us alone? No. As long as people are not saying no. As long as people don't know Jesus, no. As long as God's people are still in Egypt, no. Look at what he said. Don't Watch this. Listen to this. How long must the, this be a snare to us? Oh, yeah. Can I see it? I can't see because of my glasses. He said, listen, to, look at this, Pastor Man. Let the men go so that they may worship Yahweh their God. Don't you realize yet that Egypt is devastated? So Moses and Aaron were brought back to Pharaoh. Listen to these words. Go worship Yahweh your God, Pharaoh said. But exactly who will be going? Moses replied, we will go with our young and our old. We will go with our sons and our daughters and with our flocks, and with our herds, because we must hold Yahweh's festival. Next verse. He said to them, watch this. May Yahweh be with you if I ever let you and your families go. He said, uh-oh. He said, look out, you're planning evil. He said, if I let that whole family go, I know Yahweh's with you, but watch these words. No. Go back. No forward. Yeah. No. No, only the men may go and worship Yahweh, for that is what you have been asking for. And they were driven from Pharaoh's presence. Wait a minute. Did you catch that? Compromise your, your, your separation. Compromise your consecration. Watch this. Compromise reaching the next generation. Did you see what Pharaoh said? He said, I refuse to let the whole family go forward. I refuse to let all, if I let that family unit stay together, Yahweh will be with them. You're planning evil. So notice what the strategy was. Let me take the men out of the homes. Let me remove the male factor out of the families. Leave your children behind. Leave your wife behind. It implies a self-centeredness. You go get what you want, but forget them. A breach to try to hinder the next generation from coming up and moving forward. 
Get the men out of the homes. Get the men out of their place. Get them separated. Y'all stay behind and fall to the demise of Egyptian bondage. Why is that important? And I know it's Father's Day and I'm not trying to reap it, but, 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 but I need to hear, you need to hear me, men, what I'm about to say. This strategy has not changed. The enemy, that compromising spirit, is still trying to snatch men out of their rightful place, which is in the home, as leaders, as kings and priests. Because, see, watch this. Let me, let me show you something. We say the man is the head, the man is the head, the man is the top, and, and it is. But what if I told you he's actually the bottom? Oh, it's a quiet bunch. Do you understand? When humanity came into the earth, take you back to Genesis, that when God created the first human being, it was a man. But watch this. He created him from the dust of the ground. Adam was the only man that was created from the dust of the ground. Anytime you get ready, ready to build something, all my GCs up in here, everything starts with the ground. It starts with a foundation. And until you set the foundation, you can't build the walls. Good God. And so when God formed man from the dust of the ground, he says, I'm starting with a foundation. Because remember, woman came out of man. She didn't come from the ground. Woman came out of man and kids came out of, out of the woman. But it would never happen if God didn't lay the foundation in the dirt with a man. And he said, if the home is going to be solid, the foundation has got to be solid. A house is only strong as its foundation. And so when men are out of place, there's a crack in the foundation. Watch this. Most places are condemned, not because the paint is bad, not because the lights aren't working, not because there's cracks in the wall, but buildings are condemned when the foundation is faulty. And could it be the strategy of the enemy is to continue to snatch men out of their place so that the foundation of the family will be shaken? That's why I'm going to show you something. I'm, I'm wrapping up. This is my last point. I'm going to show you something. Because watch this. Notice that, that when Eve partook of the fruit, Eve touched it. She ate it. Go back and read your Bible. Nothing happened. Nothing happened. Go read your Bible. She was chewing, having a good time. Mm, this is good. Pray. Oh, mm. Is this organic? I mean, you know, it's, I mean, I mean, she, I mean, getting down. Nothing happened. Nothing happened. No, put it back, please. Watch this. She, watch this. She took some of the fruit and ate it. Watch this. She's eating right there, right? And then it says, she gave some to her husband. Watch the next word. Who was with her and he ate. Now watch the next word. Then, uh-oh, that's a big word. Then. It wasn't a then to after Adam ate. 
The woman had been eating. She ate about 10 apples. And nothing happened. But the moment the foundation partook of the fruit, then the Bible says sin entered because the foundation was moved because God said, I told you foundation, do not partake of the fruit. And that's why, watch this. When God came walking in the cool of the garden, he didn't say, Adam and Eve, where are y'all? He said, Adam, where are you? Because the foundation has shifted. Where are you? He didn't say, where are y'all? We beat, the, we beat a poor Eve up. Wasn't her fault. The foundation wasn't in place. The foundation got moved. But aren't you glad? <laughs> That's why Jesus said, He's what we lost in Adam. We regained in Christ. Because the Bible said no other foundation can be built upon. He's the chief, come on, head cornerstone. He is the foundation of it all. And what we lost in Adam, we regained in Christ. And he said the foundation can be restored. Come on, somebody. I'll restore the foundation for family. Men can be restored. Families can be restored. Children can be restored. Come on. The whole, the whole society can be restored. I'm here to declare as staggering as the statistics are, we have the one that can relay the foundation of families that we don't have to live compromised life but live to the glory of God stand on your feet I'm done Judges says this they'll put my scripture up in Judges and I'm going to end on this let me just tell you about it the Bible said that Gideon was pursuing these three kings. It was the king, it was Midian, Zeba, and Zalmunna. And the Bible said that when he got these kings, this is powerful. I'm still, this last point, he wants to compromise, reaching the next generation. The Bible said that when he found these three kings, Midian, which means habit, Zeba, which means, Zeba, which means sacrifice or victim, and Zalmunna, which means idols or shadowy things. The Bible said this, that when he got him, his son was there. And he took his sword and he gave it to his son. Huh. And he said, son, kill him. The Bible said he gave it to the next generation and he said, kill it. And the Bible said this, that he stood there. And then he handed the sword back to the man or to the father. And the scripture said he could not kill him, kill them because he was yet but a youth. And the kings said, you're the man. Jethro, his firstborn, rise, kill them. But the youth could not. Notice what, it, what they said. Rise, kill them. But the youth would not draw his sword for he was afraid because he was still a youth. Next verse. 
So Zeba and Zelma said, rise yourself and kill us. Look at these words. For as a man is, so his strength. So Gideon arose and killed Zeba and Zelma. Do you see the type there? And I say, I dare to say not just mom, not just dads, but I would say moms too. Notice that 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 the adult had to kill some things so that the next generation didn't have to deal with it. The young generation said, I can't, I can't, I can't. I need, I, I need some adults. I need some men. I need some parents to be in place. I can't do it, but you can. Remember what I told you they meant? It, it meant habits. It meant sacrifice and victim. It, the, the names also meant shadowy images and idols. Watch this. What habits or idols or shadowy images that you need to kill so that our next generation and our children don't become the victim of it or be sacrificed to it. Why do we do youth? Why do we do summer fest? Why do we go to forward in a few weeks where two of our pastors are going to stand on platforms and preach to thousands of teenagers and young people just to say we got something cute to do? Absolutely not. You're part of a church that is determined. We're going to kill some stuff. We're going to conquer some things. We're going to take some territory that the next generation will not fall victim and be sacrificed to. Do you believe that God can use us come on to tear down some things that our children and our children's children don't have to battle but it's gonna require saints that will be sold out young people that will be sold out teenagers that will be sold out no room for compromise no room for half and half we got to have separation consecration and God says I'll use you to reach the next generation and also get you to your final destination the promised land that I've set before you do you believe in your God that he's able to do that <laughs> so I just want to charge your faith and put a challenge to you this evening and I ask you what do you need to kill for your kids There's a couple in here, you need to kill that thought of divorce. Not only for you, for your kids. Kill it for your kids. There has to be somebody that says, I'm drawing a line. The cycle stops here. Me and my wife said some, that there's some non-negotiable. We said, I'm we both grew up in broken homes and all kind of messes stuff. But we said, we're drawing a line in the spirit and the cycle stops here. I believe that we can be cycle breakers in the kingdom of God. That drugs and alcohol and addictions and, and, and struggles and habits and images and idols don't have to plague our families. But you got to be sold out to be kept by compromise with every head bowed and every eye closed no one thank you for listening to this week's podcast we hope you are blessed